0: It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva, here on this Sunday, July 16th, 2017. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes. Leave me a review if possible, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Hope everybody's having a great Sunday, a uh, chance to have the All-Star Game this week, a uh, little break, a little blow from the day in and day out grind of the fandom of sports. Maybe you had a chance to sit back, watch something non-sports related, catch up on some housework, maybe even check out the Mike and the Mad Dog 30 for 30 if you're a New York radio, you know, sports radio fan. And I'll probably talk about that for a few minutes on the way out here today because I uh, brought back some... Some memories when it came to Mets baseball, especially during the end of the Davy Johnson era, beginning of the Jeff Torborg, Buddy Harrelson, things like that, so uh, I thought that was uh, really well done. Of course, uh, uh, coming off another horrible Sunday game, it seems to be uh, status quo this year. I think every time I come on and do this podcast, it's some kind of awful loss, so um, not really something that was going to change much about what I was going to talk about, but I think this weekend, the uh, the two out of three losing the uh, you know the final game in the way they did, and then winning the first two games, and kind of giving the fans a little tease, a little glimmer of hope that they can make a run. You know, if they had won today, they'd be five games out in the lost column to Colorado for the second playoff spot. I think today was the the dash of cold water on why you know this team is really not a playoff bound team. But joining me in a little bit, Paul Lebowitz, uh You can check him out on Twitter at Prince underscore of underscore NY will be joining me. He's over at fanragsports.com, the same home as uh, such great luminaries as John Heyman. Paul does great work over there. Uh, He's a guy that has a strong opinion. I don't always agree with him, uh, but if you follow him on Twitter and and if you followed him this week, he really dived into what what we will dive into is the direction the Mets should go when it comes to selling because there is, and we got a little bit into that with John Delcos last week. There is some thought about really ripping this thing down and, and blowing it up and I think that's just absurd and I, and I, and I'll talk to Paul about that because uh, to me that's the last thing you want to do is go through a lengthy rebuild there's a lot of things here uh, at play but you know the big story today and I think it ties into a theme that I've had uh, with what this team is all about you know historically historical regression on the pitching staff and it's something that I I, I can't answer other than maybe these A these pitchers they're clearly not all healthy; they haven't been healthy this year. They got off on the wrong foot, and even though they're back and maybe physically healthy they're not yet at the level where you would expect them to be. You see that with Matt's now the last couple of starts that he's had uh, that's number one you know number two, preparedness, and I you know a lot of what I've said about the pitching coach, I think it falls on him you know if you have this historical regression, you know where does the one uh the guy who you know, was in charge of these guys. Where does he fall into that play? You know, Matt Harvey is coming out. Matt Harvey and his shoulder strength. You know, where was Worthen with all this? I guess that's an answer, you know, uh, that I don't have. Clearly I don't have. But it's a question that should be posed by the front office this off season when they look at this coaching staff and decide, do they blow the whole thing up or bring these guys back? um so you know when it comes to that you know i think that's where you fall into and then there's a third component component that's like well maybe these guys aren't all that good or as good as we thought and they miss some kind of veteran presence like what they had with bartolo cologne i think that's a bit overstated and everybody got crazy about cologne not coming here i mean it would have been nice to have cologne but the myth of cologne and the reality of cologne is, is a lot different i think you know if it's about the seven line and, and having, you know, you know, you know know big head, fat head, you know, signs out in the outfield and big sexy shirts, of course, then you're going to miss Cologne. If it's about how much of an impact he would have on this team, you know, it would be nice to have another arm out of the bullpen in the rotation. But let's also say that Cologne had, would have to show me that he could be, you know, six innings, three runs, pretty much what he was when he was here, that kind of pitcher. He has not been that kind of pitcher this year. And, you know, it is validated he really wasn't a pitcher that should have got $12.5 million. I mean, once he got that from the Braves, the Mets had to say, hey, you know, thanks a lot for your service, and God bless with that. So, But, you know, the real big story is, uh, you know, Bob Klapisch came out with it, and it's developing a little bit here as we're recording the podcast. It's this story over at NJ.com by Bob Klapisch that uh, Estrubal Cabrera, is the big reason why the Mets have yet to promote Med Rosario. You know, a lot of this has to go back to Terry Collins originally wanting to move Cabrera to third base, Cabrera balking, Collins concerned about forcing him to play the position, how that would play in the clubhouse, which I just thought was ridiculous. Like, that that's the ultimate inmates running the asylum. Now they move him to second, and I think Cabrera could be a valuable piece at an affordable rate in 2018, playing second base. You know, he still seems to have a decent bat. The range is probably not as big of an issue at second base as it is at short. Uh, I felt Camberra has looked lazy this year, uh, sloppy, not like the same player that we saw last year, and uh, I've been critical of him, and I, and I think that that's warranted. And now you're hearing that maybe the Mets are a little cautious about bringing the kid that's quote-unquote displanting him, uh, up until he's gone, and I guess that's maybe one of the players they're looking to move, is Cabrera, who has an option at $8.5 a, a team option. Now, it seems like the media, uh, you know, and, and this, again, this is developing, so it's hard for me to, to you know, comment on what, other than the fact that basically Cabrera and Jose Reyes have, you know, poo-pooed this. I mean, I don't think Jose Reyes would give this kid a hard time. I think Jose Reyes, from what I think it was Gary Cohen was saying, has been supportive of the kid and been texting him and you know, been somewhat of a mentor. You know, I guess he reminds him a little bit of himself just 15 years ago when he came up. And I don't think Reyes was welcomed warmly by Ray Ardenas. Let's put it that way, or Ray Sanchez. who was a shortstop's leading up to Reyes. Cabrera, I guess there's some question as to how he would be with this kid, and I and I don't know if this was Bob just speculating if there was some you know Bob has has been on this program. I respect him a lot. He's been covering the Mets for a long time. He would not run that capriciously. And I, I'm going to troll Twitter here throughout the show and see if there's any comment because you know now that the media has taken Bob's story and you know essentially went to the players with it, it'd be interesting if Bob says, "Hey, this was me taking some information and formulating an opinion." But I, I don't really think he would write something like that. That damning unless he had some kind of concrete proof that the front office is concerned about it. And ultimately, if that's the case, then, you know, this is the final, in my opinion, if you don't believe what I've been saying, I mean, I've had so many shows that have centered on why this team was mismanaged from not only this year, but for so many years and why that's primarily the reason they didn't win a championship in 2015. This is really to me, the final nail in Terry Collins coffin, because, if he's not managing that clubhouse that's the only thing left that anybody who supports him in the media or in the fan on in the fan base on the fan base whatever you want to call it is you know that's it that's his mo if he doesn't have that what the hell does he have he's not a good in-game tactician he's not a good manager of the bullpen he's got this whole credo where i could get veterans to play for me He doesn't really show you that he's good at developing. I mean, Michael Conforto is a great example of that. He he tends to favor veterans. So this is a guy you hire when you have a veteran team to motivate them and keep the clubhouse clean. And he manages the media well because he's co-opted them into really not going after him. So I got to give him credit on that. Even though I, I think that maybe that's more of the state of the modern media or the modern beat more than Terry, but I digress on that. So, You know, guys, in front of you is exactly the issue that you have with this club right now. This club is a fraud. You saw that this weekend. They're not making the playoffs. It's a shame because I think when it's all said and done, I think that they'll have somewhere between 80 and 83, 84 wins. I think as this becomes more meaningless and the pressure's off, I think they'll start to play better. Um, especially if you bring up a Dominic Smith and a Rosario, if they are anywhere near as good as you think they are, those guys are going to want to come up and prove themselves. And they always, typically, the first time around the league, you're going to get, you know, nobody knows you, so you might be able to capitalize on that. We've seen much lesser talent capitalize on that when they first came up. And, you know, that really leads me to the the final point where if there is a sale, I mean, number one, I don't want to just give away players just to give away players. Everybody forgets, and we'll talk with Paul about this, that there is the qualifying offer. There is some benefits to keeping your free agents and offering them the qualifying offer so that that you could either get them to accept it for one year, like what happened with Neil Walker and you got the $18 million. At the very least, then you could get some draft picks. It's not as lucrative as it used to be because what was happening was the, the lucrative draft picks were preventing teams from signing players with qualifying offers. It was actually... the depressing salaries so they corrected that in the last collective bargaining agreement but the value of those draft picks and potentially what comes of that is probably in a lot of cases going to be better than whatever they're going to get now i know a few years ago they traded marlon bird for vic black and dilson herrera and dilson herrera turned into jay bruce so there was some value there but marlon bird was a scrap heap guy that just happened to blow up and that was almost found money if i You know, I would call it that. So you really can't say that there was a value to hold on to Marlon Burt. Is there a value to hold on to Reed and Bruce and maybe Greg Anderson, perhaps? Is there a value of listening? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you never know what a team is going to give you. And, you know, for everybody to say, well, there's no value to these players or for, you know, guys like Joel Sherman or writers to talk to executives of other teams, they're talking about this in a vacuum you know, in a what kind of value does player A have? They're not talking about it in an emotional state where a team that feels that they could use a bullpen arm to get themselves over the top and perhaps win a pennant. You know, that changes the conversation. Look at how the Cubs went out and got oldest Chapman. I'm not suggesting that Reed is oldest Chapman. But for somebody, he may be their version of that. You never know. Maybe the Yankees say, I want Lucas Duda, I want Reed. That's a big upgrade. We see a, a soft you know, opening here with a, a league. You know, Houston's really tough, but we think we could beat them in a the short series if we beef up those two positions. Everybody else is kind of right there with us. You know, they, If you get a chance to go to the World Series, look at Kansas City, look at the Mets. You don't know. The Mets weren't planning on going to the World Series in 2015. They made it there. And when you're there, then you win. That, that's what this is all about. So you have to explore that. Now, to break this thing down and to say the Mets are in a full-blown rebuild, that's just foolish. I've seen teams in much worse shape, Mets teams in much worse shape. And certainly this season has not gone the way that you wanted. But just because you have a losing record doesn't mean you have to blow it up and rebuild it. And when you talk about trading DeGrom or listening on potentially Syndergaard if he got healthy or Familiar if he got healthy, you know, you're going to need some of these players, even Blevins. You listen – but you need, especially in the NL East, with Freddie Freeman and Bryce Harper and Daniel Murphy, uh, you know the, you know, Christian Yelich. You need a good lefty in this division, because when you play these teams 19 times, you're going to need to get those outs late in ball games. And I don't think the Mets are going to be a, a, a team that you would say going into spring training next year can't compete in a league. Where there's other—Colorado's not that great. They they got off the hot start. They've come back down to earth. And everybody else is in the muck. St. Louis and Atlanta and Milwaukee. I mean, Chicago's had a down year. I think that this Quintana trade should maybe propel them. You've seen them uh, play a lot better this weekend against Baltimore. They may be uh, away they go right now. You may see the, the, the Cubs take off. But regardless, everybody's in the muck. And I don't see why, going into next year, the Mets wouldn't be expected to compete for a playoff spot or a division. The Nationals are very good. They solidified their bullpen with the deal today of Sean Doolittle and Ryan Madsen. Uh, they'll still be good going into next year, but that doesn't mean the Mets can't compete with them. I think you got to get a little bit better leadership on this team, and I think this team needs to get serious, and I think they need to look at maybe balancing offense and defense and then figuring out what's going on with the staff. Is it the way that it's being prepared and handled and trained? Or is it a matter of maybe they're not that good? Maybe you need to go out and get a veteran arm. But if you start to really look at the free agent list, and we'll dive deeper into this as the summer and to the fall go on, you want to start trading the Grom, and you want to start ripping this thing apart to shreds to become the Phillies just so you get high draft picks and hope in five years that you're back. There's no guarantees. The Mets got very fortunate with the R.A. Dickey trade. But the fact that R.A. Dickey turned out to be who he was, they got very fortunate that Beltron, after having significant knee surgery, came back and netted them a valuable asset. You know, they, maybe Darno didn't work out like what they wanted, but Syndergaard sure as hell did. They were very fortunate that DeGrom developed the way he, he did. It was supposed to be Rafael Montero. They're very fortunate that Matt Harvey developed up to, you know, before the, the, the regression the last couple of years, the way he did it. You know. So before you start to go out there and advocate for a full-blown rebuild, realize what that means and the pain with that. Five years of bad baseball, and you're back to square one. And there's really no need to do something like that unless you're in a total mess, and the Mets are not a total mess. And their financial situation with all the money coming off, and I think they're on the other end of the Madoff situation. Remember, where they were when Sandy Alderson came in, was as much about Madoff as it was about the farm system being underdeveloped, or maybe it was better developed than they thought, the Mets could have competed and rebuilt while they were doing this with responsible contracts. They couldn't because they didn't have the cash flow and the revenue to do so because of the Madoff situation. They were, the owners are trying to save the team, and uh, you know that has as much to do with what happened then, you know, the whole fact that Alderson came in and had to rebuild because, you know, there was no direction and no leadership on their old mom and I. So anyway, that's that's where I'm at with the Mets again. It would have been interesting if they had swept the Rockies. You know, they would have been five games out. There's still look, there's seven games down the lost column. But I really, again, I keep saying this week in, week out until you get to 500, you are not a serious contender. And they are at least two weeks away from that if they play good baseball. And a team that was serious about making a run would have come out and competed today. And they didn't. They came out, they were down 4 nothing early, and they packed it in. And the Rockies took the final game of the series, and, uh, and away they go. So, anyway, let's take a quick break. When I return, Paul Lebowitz, we had him on in spring training. Let's bring him back. Fanregsports.com, Paul does some great work over there. We'll talk about this whole idea of the Mets tearing it down and rebuilding it. We'll get his thoughts on Jay Bruce and Lucas Duda and, and should the Mets and Yankees make a deal. And perhaps we'll get a little bit into this whole Astribal Cabrera news, which is, again, developing. And not sure if it's more media creation or there's some uh, smoke and fire as to where this came from. So, anyway, you're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time on MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. We'll be back with Paul Lebowitz
2: right after this. Hey, Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. right now that's Mets M-E-R-I-Z-E-D online.com and get Metzmerized today
0: Uh, joining me is Paul Lebowitz from fanrag.sports. You can check him out on Twitter, at Prince underscore of underscore NY. And uh, he's joining us now. Paul, pleasure to have you on, uh, I guess, today. And this weekend is uh, pretty much a synopsis of the Mets season. A little bit of hope that's quickly dashed by some bad pitching and a poor performance. So, a lot more of the same after the All-Star break.
3: Uh, That pretty much sums it up. And if they continue playing like this, then it's not going to be a question as to whether or not they should just look at the market and see what they can get for the veterans and just move on because you have to win your own games if you're going to give it a shot to try to make the playoffs. And they're just not winning their own games.
0: That's a great – I mean, look, at succinctly said. I mean, do you really still – It's I know, you know, seven games, and if they had won today, it would be five games back. A Colorado, there's still – probably about 10 days away from good baseball being a 500 club, which is the bare minimum, in my opinion, to be considered a contender, if if, if you want to call them that. Uh, do you really feel there's something here? Because it's, it's really hard to believe, despite the math, that this could be a playoff team, even second wild card.
3: It's not just a matter of whether or not there's something there. I mean, they're not going to catch the Nationals now. I mean, this Nationals team doesn't look like the previous Nationals team, where it's Nationals teams where they're fighting and – they just said there's something missing. They seem to be uh, – Baker seems to be in control of the clubhouse, and now they've made two aggressive moves to improve the bullpen. Uh, they're going for it now. Uh, with the Mets, you could make the argument that the market isn't strong enough for the players that they're going to be trading, that it's worth it to move them, so they might as well just see what happens for the rest of the season. And they're not technically playing for that one-game playoff. But if you look at it in a way, well, if we manage to get into the one-game playoff with DeGrom or Syndergaard's back, hey, we got a shot. Get in there and see what happens. But if they're going to continue playing like this where they're not going to be winning their own games against these teams that they can beat and the teams that they're chasing, then what's the point? So it's not just like whether they should do one thing or the other. They have to look at the entire situation and say, what is our best course of action for 2018, 2019, 2020? And if it's stand pat and take the qualifying offers for Bruce and get the draft picks rather than trade them for less than you'll get in the draft, then that's what you do and just see what happens. Maybe they'll start winning in August. I don't think they will, but anything's possible.
0: That's a great point you. You were tweeting about it this week, and I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you get to the point. You see it more in the NBA and the fans and the bloggers. It's never really about winning anymore. It's about collecting assets. And, and now you – I think it was really Joel Sherman threw it out there a couple of weeks ago. Well, what if you started trading Jacob deGrom? What if you threw, when he gets healthy, Noah Syndergaard out there? You know you could get a lot for those guys. But I always say the prospects that you get, no matter how well they're ranked, no matter how good you think they are, Whatever pitcher they traded Jacob deGrom for, let's just say, is he going to be as good a Jacob, as Jacob deGrom next year? Probably not. Two, three years from now? You don't know. And and even to your point with Bruce and Reed and Granderson, if you could get something, I mean, maybe like what they did with Marlon Bird a couple of years ago where they got Vic Black, they got Dilson Herrera, who had some upside. Okay, I, I, I'm okay with that. But just to trade guys for the sake of getting quote-unquote assets, or acting as if this is a team that needs to now have a window closed and completely completely rebuild. That's asinine. And I don't know where that's coming from because it's not a bad team. It's a team that's had some bad luck, some injuries and uh and some poor management from from top to bottom. Let's it's a it's a basically a uh you know a smorgasbord of things that have happened. It's not a train wreck, let's put it that way.
3: Well, I mean, you're mentioning Joel Sherman. I don't know whether that's his opinion in the column or that's an editorial board saying, well, here's an idea. Why don't you write about this and it'll get some some web hits and it'll draw some attention. I think it's 50-50 that it's one or the other. Uh, I am not interested in trading these pitchers who are under team control for the next three to five years to start another rebuild when they spent the first four years of the Alderson regime rebuilding. They finally rebuilt. This is the one strength they have. So what you're going to do is break down that one strength for kids in single A, double A, and maybe triple A. For what You have no idea what you're getting. You don't have any idea whether they're going to be a bust or not. DeGrom has been brilliant for the past three months. Why do you want to trade him? He doesn't have a lot of wear on his arm because he wasn't a pitcher when he was a kid. He is what is he? He's going to be 29, but the age has nothing to do with the actual wear and tear on his arm. And he's developed. He's he's locked in until I think it's after 2020. Why are you trading him? And the idea of trade? Why are you trading these guys? Why these are the guys you are selling the team on? So you have these pitchers. You have the starting rotation. You have Familia in the bullpen. You can build around that. You have this young first baseman coming up. You have a young shortstop coming up. They have all this money coming off the books, and you're going to start another rebuild? Why?
0: Doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. And it it seems to be that's what's vogue. Because first of all, that's what's good to write about and talk about. And and let's face it, Paul. Everybody likes to play fantasy mogul GM. I mean, that's what the the fans are into. It's almost not about the games anymore. And, and they forget. There's a team that was in the World Series two years ago. And are there holes? Yeah, I mean, there's holes. Uh, maybe they're not, you know, they're a little clunkily built, you know, with the outfield and, and and things aren't really developing. A catcher and the whole Cabrera situation. But, again, I don't see this as a team that can't compete next year. I mean, what's what's going to go on in the National League East? Okay, the Nationals will probably still be good. The Braves are still a, a little bit of ways away. The Marlins are going to be... Influx, and the Phillies are years away. So why would you break this down? And if you look at it, I mean, the Colorado Rockies are a nice team. But if the Mets had, you know, maybe a swing of five games, there was five winnable games in the first half. This is a whole different conversation. The Rockies aren't that great. I mean, there's a real big muck that with
3: there. every team that they blew this game that they should have won. And they, you know, they, there are games that they should have lost that they came back and won. So that's always, uh, you know, this or that. But with the parity in the National League and throughout baseball, I don't see why you would want to tear it down to the degree that you would be tearing it down if you traded these guys. And what, how is it possible? I mean, even Alderson said the other day, it kind of surprised me when he said he would kind of listen on DeGrom and then they backed off of that a little bit. Right. The way I would have put it would have said, you are not going to offer me enough under any circumstances, that I'm going to trade him. So, in essence, he's untradeable. Now, if somebody comes in and offers you something absolutely crazy, I guess you listen. But I don't see any team doing that. Like the Astros, I mean, Francesca mentioned. Okay, you want to trade? You want Degrom? Okay, give me the third baseman. You want to do that? Okay, maybe. But the Astros aren't right. doing that. So it, it doesn't even make sense to argue about because it's not happening.
0: Right. No, absolutely. I will have with me Paul Lebowitz, FanRag Sports, uh, with me. What dot you, FanRag.com. What are you? I apologize. Um, anyway, Sports. What dot are com. you? FanRagSports.com. Uh, what do you attribute this historic decline of the pitching staff of starting pitching? It's hard to. I mean, look, we know about the injuries, but Matt, since he came back, has been inconsistent because Zellman has fallen off the cliff. Uh, I mean, Wheeler I've always had questions about since the day they got him, and he's obviously coming off a, a major surgery. Uh, Lou goes up and down. It's, and, and Harvey's the big conundrum. I mean, you don't know what the – the scapular injury has been very peculiar. makes me wonder if that's really what's going on, or maybe they're just shutting him down to shut him down. Uh, from what your uh, eyes see here, what exactly do you feel is the reason for this historic. I mean, it's almost, uh, you know, at one point they were saying it was like the 62 Mets they were uh, performing at that level. What do you see as the reason for it?
3: You can look at that heavy workload from 2015 and think it's an overhang after the injuries last year. But with Harvey, it's it's difficult to discern what's going on with him. I mean, the Tommy John surgery, okay. The extra workload after the Tom, Tommy John surgery, okay. But it's like he's having a complete physical breakdown. Like his entire body's coming apart. And it's not just – these aren't normal injuries for a pitcher. Like you don't usually see a pitcher with that scapula problem or if that's what it is. And the the shoulder weakness, I mean, they were blaming Dan Warthen for not noticing and, and saying, well, didn't you even look at his shoulder? Well, where's Harvey? Scott Boris has played the the stage dad from the beginning of his career. They didn't notice that there was this significant deficiency in his shoulder, in the musculature of his shoulder. I I mean, I don't know that his lifestyle is contributing to his breakdown, but at some point he's going to be 30 years old soon. You want to get paid, you want to be this mega star, then you've got to perform. And I don't know if you can blame the Mets for, for what's going on with Harvey. I don't think he was abused. And with, I mean, DeGrom, he had the elbow problem. I don't think that he's having any major issues at the moment with his, with his health. Uh, Gesellman was never actually this giant prospect. I mean, they liked him, and he happened to come up and show a lot of guts. And his main thing last year was being able to get out of trouble. And this year, he just seemed to lose what it was he had last year. Like maybe he was a little too comfortable. Or he uh, lost confidence in, in what it was he did, like the, the sinking fastball and stuff. He was throwing a little bit too hard to me. Uh, Wheeler, who knows? I mean, we weren't just we were expecting, like you said, he's coming back from an injury. I didn't even think he was going to be in the rotation. I wanted him in the bullpen. Or if they were going to use him, use the six-man rotation. But I think he's been actually better than we, we should have expected. And, mats I, I, I don't know what you do with Matt's because today, all right, let's just throw out today. Even when he's good, everyone's kind of like hesitant to start saying, okay, this is the guy we think is going to be the ace of the staff because he's always like one pitch away from going on the disabled list with another lat injury or an elbow injury or a shoulder problem or something. So I I don't know if it's attributable to anything other than pitchers get hurt today.
0: Yeah, I mean, and this is the crazy part. You would think, and you're right, the, the strength and what this team was built on is the rotation. But it's not crazy for them this winter to go out, and even if it's on a short-term deal, and and there's not a lot of arms out there, but get a veteran arm for this rotation because I guess you really can't go into next year assuming any of these guys could give you, other than maybe DeGrom, uh, 200 innings. I mean, right now, the funny part is is that we talk about trading DeGrom. He's the guy that's the best one out of all of them, despite all the Stuff with Syndergaard and and all this other stuff, he's he's Mister Reliable. I've always liked him. I mean, ever since his performance in Game Five, he showed me a lot against the Dodgers uh, when he was on the ropes and how he came out of that. Got a little lucky, but that's you know part of that is is him. Uh, you know, he's the guy that out of all of them I'd give the ball to in a big spot, and he's the guy that I build the rotation around. Yes, yeah, Syndergaard's good. I I get that, and I'm not writing him off. But sometimes, you know what, You know, less comic book characters give me some more performance. That's, that's the way I look at that.
3: I didn't understand why Syndergaard felt it was necessary to bulk up the way he did, but I also didn't think it was fair to blame the Mets for it, because all these guys have their own personal trainers, and no matter what you tell them, they're going to turn around, and they're going to do whatever they want, and there's really not much you can do about it. And that evolution comes with maturity, and I'm sure... In three or four years, Syndergaard will say, you know what? I was stupid. I shouldn't have done that. I didn't need to throw 102 when I was throwing 100 and I was dominant. So when you're building, even just like push Harvey to the side, when you're building from DeGrom and Syndergaard to start with, I mean, you're two-fifths of the way to a great rotation. And if Matts is reasonably healthy and Wheeler builds on what he's been this year, I mean right there that's a top 4 even without Harvey. Now maybe I mean the Mets had Bartolo, and that was their veteran presence and the solid veteran who would take the ball every fifth day and he'd go out there and he wouldn't throw the ball through a wall and he'd show them how you can win with just command and control and intelligence. What the Braves did when they had Glavin and Smoltz in the early and Avery in the early years. First, they were pursuing Barry Bonds. They couldn't get Barry Bonds. They turned around, and they signed Greg Maddox. The reaction was like, why do you need Greg Maddox? Well, look what happened after they had Greg Maddox. He was this
0: pin in front of the
3: rotation. Maybe the Mets should have thought of doing something like that with a big-name starter or a veteran to stand in front of the rotation and say, look, guys, just follow my lead. And not somebody like Bartolo who's doing it with you don't know how he's doing it. Somebody who's sure. in around his prime, maybe a little bit past his prime, but can still pitch.
0: Is what Jay Bruce, what he's doing, and, um, you know, it very well could be when you when it's all said and done, it's a career year. Is it giving you pause to think, okay, you know, can Michael Conforto play center field? Should they bring him back? Uh, I'm going to say no. I don't think Conforto's a center fielder. I think you've got Cespedes on left. you got Conforto on right. And then you go out and you get yourself a center fielder. I know Lorenzo Cain may be available. Some have said, you know, put Lagaris back there. And then maybe you have uh, other areas that you can invest that money into. What has Jay Bruce done for you? Has he changed your mind about possibly bringing him back into 2018 and giving him a three or four year deal?
3: No, uh, he's been a, a he's had a great year. He seems to be enjoying playing in New York and, the concerns last year that he was uh, terrified of the city and all that stuff it wasn't that, it was the shock of being traded when he had a a young baby and he told the Reds he didn't want to go to New York anywhere but New York so they turn around they send him to New York and the Mets traded for him as coverage in case Cespedes left and as it turned out Cespedes didn't leave and they were left with this something of a surplus I don't believe that it would be a good investment to bring him in. I mean, Conforto can play center field, but with Lorenzo Cain out there, I'm all in on Lorenzo Cain. That's who I think they need. They need his defense. They need his speed. He can hit the ball out of the park. He's a leader. He's one of those enthusiastic guys with a smile on his face who can lead with and have it be legitimate. And to me, why would you bring Bruce back when it's really not a great fit it just There are so many other holes that they have to fill that why would you want to just make it so awkward and just start banging puzzle pieces in where they don't fit when there are alternatives right there with Lorenzo Cain, who's probably going to cost a little more than Bruce's, and it just doesn't fit.
0: Absolutely, and um, I think Mike Mustakis is a free agent at the end of the year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh be interesting. There's another name, I mean, third base and what have you couple of Royals that beat them in the World Series that could potentially be tough guys, um, you know, guys that have been there, uh, and a little bit different look than what they have. I mean, they've got a lot of left-handed power right now. Uh, obviously, they have Cespedes with right-handed power. Maybe it'll balance the lineup up a little bit. And I agree with you on Kane. That's the guy just looking at early free agency, uh, could diversify them a little bit, good defensively, and uh, if they're going to reinvest some of that Granderson money, I don't know how much this guy would want. That's where I would go. I'm also looking at Mustakis. I don't know what you think of that, uh, you know, at third base. I know David Wright is still technically on the team, but I don't think we're going to see him anytime soon.
3: I, don't, I would not count on David. I mean, I don't think the Mets are counting on David Wright. He's not going to be back. If he's back, like I said earlier in the spring, it'll be for a few token at-bats in September to say goodbye, and, and that'll be it. It's getting to the point where you just can't go on living like this because had they known – that this was going to be the case even last year, then they could have made the, the borderline brutal decision and said, "Look, David, we don't think you're going to stay healthy," and they traded for Walker and kept Murphy
0: and moved him to third base. Right, moved Murphy but. to third. That would have been that would have been the the right move, and Murphy would have been a pretty good third uh, third baseman. You are ready to give up on uh, Travis Darno?
3: <sighs> there is enough there for me to say I'm not ready to give up on him but what they do need to do is get a legitimate I mean Rene Rivera has been good and people who want to get rid of Rivera don't realize that he surprisingly carries a lot of weight in that clubhouse and he's a good backup he's a good you know second guy to have they need someone who can catch 95 games if Darno is continuing to be the player he's been, where once in a while, like he hit those home runs in the postseason, you're like, wow, this guy could be a star. And then are the injuries and the throwing problems. The talent is there, but he's also getting into his late 20s. He's under team control. He's relatively cheap. I'm not giving him away because the market, and LaCroix does not want to come here because he didn't want to come here last year. So I don't know what you're getting to replace him. And tell me who's replacing him because I don't know.
0: And there's not – I mean, again, everybody talks about free agency. I've gone through the free agent list. There's not a lot out there. I mean, it's it's pitching-wise. I mean, there's players out there, but the fans think ripping this thing apart and then going into the market in the offseason, uh, it's going to be in the trade market. And if then you're going to do that, then it's robbing Peter to pay Paul, which changes the dynamic. So this is not easy. I mean, there's a lot here it just validates what you've been tweeting about or writing about. You know, you just can't rip this thing apart. You know, the, the other thing, and we haven't got into it yet, but the big news that came out today, and, and uh, I, I've had Bob Klappish on the show, and, and I respect him a lot, and he does great work, and I don't know if that was his opinion or if there was rumbling, but it had come out that one of the reasons the Mets have not promoted Rosario was because they didn't want to get him in the clubhouse with, I guess, uh, Struble Cabrera, who's pretty upset. Uh, and now it seems like I'm I'm seeing as we uh, did this segment right before you come on, looking at Twitter that the reporters actually approached Cabrera about this after the game, trying to guess, stir a little bit of the pot there, and uh, even approached Reyes. I don't know what to think about that. You know, you've heard a couple of things about the Mets clubhouse this time around that it's not as good as it's been in prior years. Um, I don't think that's the only reason why they're 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 not winning. It could be uh, one of the reasons. I don't know what you thought about that. I don't know if you saw that piece. I don't know what you thought about that piece, but obviously I'd have to bring it up because it is news that just came out as uh, the day went on.
3: One thing that I've always admired about Joe Girardi with the Yankees was that when he had all these veterans, these older veterans for whom it's not a problem in their professional life or nobody's going to say anything to them, it's not going to affect them if they just say, you know what, forget it, and just beg the season and let it go and end it 70-92 and 92 and not really care about it and think about themselves. He managed to keep them focused on winning, and, and maybe that was part of the, you know, you're, you're with the Yankees, you try to win, all that stuff. But that comes from the manager. And when you have as many pending free agents as a team like the Mets do, then there is always going to be the risk that it's going to get to a point where they're just going to say, you know what, screw this. And it's totally understandable. I mean, Cabrera has that option for next year. It's not a giant option. But now you're taking him and moving him to second base when he said he didn't want to move to second base. I'm not going to say he's right. I'm going to say he has a point. And Cabrera has a good reputation. I don't think he's going to look at this kid, this 21-year-old kid, and treat him Badly because he's quote unquote taking his job.
0: It's not Greg but, Jeffries. I mean, that's what I think they're trying to. I mean, not that I'm connecting that, but it's like it's not like Greg Jeffries is coming to the clubhouse. Let's put it that way.
3: Well, I mean, Jeffries was uh, he was a brat and he threw tantrums, and there has been no indication of that from Rosario. Rosario. Everybody seems to say what a great kid he is. So. I'm going to go ahead and believe that there is a reason that they're not bringing him up, and I don't know what it is. Maybe they want to save money. Maybe they want the extra year of team control. Maybe they don't want to have him uh, come up and be the savior and have to deal with that pressure, or maybe they don't want to have him come up and be in the middle of this group of veterans who it could go either way, and it could go very badly for him. If he struggles, then... All of a sudden, there's going to be this, well, what are we waiting for with this kid? What's the big deal? So it might be a combination of everything. They want it. They Maybe they want Terry Collins. I don't know that he wants to be playing rookies when he still thinks, as he's heading into the final stretch of his managerial career. I think we all agree on that, that maybe I can try to win another one, and I don't want to have to be babysitting a rookie when I have these veterans on the roster.
0: That's a good point. Have with me Paul Lebowitz, uh, FanRagSports.com. A couple of last ones, Paul, before I let you go. Um, Lucas Duda, is he going to be a Yankee before the end of uh, the trade deadline? Uh,
3: I doubt it. Um, For the Mets to make a deal with the Yankees to quote-unquote help them, it would have to be significantly worth it for them. And are the Yankees even going to be buying heavily? It's starting to look like they're pretty much what we thought they were. I mean, after that amazing run they had, when they look like, wow, I mean, how do they pull this off? They've settled into the maybe they'll be 83 and 79 and on the outskirts of a, a weak uh, wild card run. I, I just don't see how they have the pitching and I don't see the purpose of them trading for Lucas Duda and giving up what it would take for them for it to be worthwhile for the Mets to make that deal and help help the Yankees. I with duda are you get and with any of these pending free agents? Are you getting enough? Because the consensus seems that apart from Reed and Blevins and
0: I mean and Reed I wouldn't give getting, up Blevins. I would be careful because that's a good situation to lefty in the NL East is a necessity if they're going to compete next year. I know he's making well, some I'd listen
3: year. on Blevins. I wouldn't look to sure. trade him.
0: Right, now with I Reed,
3: agree. with Reed, I would tell him, look, we are going to trade you, but we are interested in bringing you back next year. So, I mean, the Mets have really rarely done that. Other teams have done it. The Cubs have done it a few times. The A's have done it. I don't see a problem with them saying, we're going to try to bring you back. We're going to get a couple of prospects. But but they're not making the qualifying offer to Reed. With somebody like Bruce, with Granderson, with Duda, and the, the, the numbers guys love Duda. So he's going to get a big contract from someone. Is it worth it? Are you going to get one or two prospects that are better than, even with the qualifying offer draft picks being, I think it's like the second or third round now. You can find players in the second or third round. Are you going to do better than that now, or are you going to be able to accrue some draft picks? And at worst, build some depth in the organization, raise the profile of the system, and maybe trade a few of the top-level guys while you have the depth down there to get some bullpen help and improve for next year with the pitching staff and try to win.
0: The answer is probably not. I mean, again, best-case scenario, you saw what they were able to get from Marlon Byrd. And that situation was a pirate team that hadn't made the playoffs in a while, was pretty desperate. And when you think about it, they probably overpaid a little bit. Vic Black didn't work out. He had some shoulder issues. Uh, But Dil Herrera, I mean, he's got some decent numbers in Louisville. Uh, He's not up with Cincinnati. I mean, maybe he was a little overrated when it was going through the system and, you know, the prospect uh, reports and what have you. But he was a valuable asset. See, to me, Bird was somebody that you got lucky with. You picked him off off the scrap heap. You know, these guys are a little bit different. Um, and you're right. I mean, I don't, I don't think you should just trade him for low-A players. And I, I really don't think, if they're listening to Sandy Alderson, when he says he's listening, and you, listen, Paul, you've seen this story now for many years. Remember Ike Davis, even Jay Bruce this past winter. He's very methodical. He's very patient. He's just not going to dump these guys for anybody. And he's not going to dump Lucas Duda because he wants to help the Yankees win. And the Yankees are going to do an Armando Benitez-type trade, and they're going to get a Jason Anderson BS bullpen arm back. Uh, If the Yankees offer one of their top ten prospects for him, then they may listen. And uh, I don't know know politically if either team could do that unless it was a real slam dunk where the Yankees said, Duda's going to get us over the hump with the Red Sox. And uh, you know, know, I
3: was, I mean, you no, know he, he hit a was, real clutch like home to, run. I, I'm, not I'm not in the,
0: the numbers. he is.
3: No, it's I'm quiet. not in the in love with. The, I if you, you'll remember when there was the debate over Davis and Duda, I said, listen, here's the bottom line: Duda's a better hitter. That's it. And people came at me, and look how it turned out. Dude is the better yeah, hitter. Dave, Davis Duda's never the had
0: I mean, Davis's swing alone was a reason to keep Duda. Davis's swing was way too complicated to ever think he was going to replicate that and have success. Not to we'll, mention we'll never Duda's
3: know too. what Davis would have been had he not gotten injured, on, had sure. that ankle injury. But sure, since good. then, I mean, he's been healthy, and now he—they're making him into a pitcher. Yeah. So,
0: he'll be a reliever in I two I years. Not,
3: <laughs> yeah, a sidearm lefty reliever. Right. I do not believe that the Yankees are going to be willing to give up any – I mean, it was enough that Cashman managed to get the, get the Steinbrenners and Randy Levine to let him clean house last year. Now, if he tells them, well, we're going to give up our eighth-ranked prospect for Lucas Duda, they're going to say, wait a second. What if this guy becomes a star? And yeah, we have throw to Addis look to at read him for there. eight years.
0: Throw Addison hmm? Reed and Duda together. Then maybe they have to listen a little bit more, and that would help them. I can't I see like, them giving up anything of
3: consequence. And I, I would be, if I'm the Mets, I would be a little hesitant of what they were giving up. If it's you know Mateo, Mateo supposedly <laughs> had some issues down in the minors. What are you giving me here? You know what? Don't I know? I think it's just safer not to do that. And just I would tend to believe that Alderson just said that to keep the Yankees in there, so he could bluff any team that's calling about them because the Mariners are supposed to be supposedly interested in Duda. And I wouldn't have any issue at all trading Reed to the Nationals at this point. Who cares?
0: Yeah. I mean, at this point, what are you, what are you really doing? I mean, you, you know, unless you really, I don't think Alderson plays that. Now, listen, could Jeff Wilpon step in and say, I don't want to help the Nationals. That's always possible, but I, I don't think Sandy does that. Uh, last thing. And I think you kind of alluded to it earlier. Uh, is this it for Terry Collins? Look, like, you know I'm not a Collins fan. Um, uh, he's not the only reason why they are where they are. Uh, it's To me, it's time to move on. Uh, you know, he's bad at managing the bullpen. I think he's, his attributes have been overrated. Uh, you know, it's hard. You know, I don't have a, a built-in name to say, hey, this is the guy. I know that some people have started to throw Tim Tuffle's name out there. Uh, you've heard names like Alex Cora, uh, Tim Bogar. I mean, I think they need maybe somebody who's going to be a little bit more of a disciplinarian than what Collins, who was more grandfatherly, you know, that's always what happens if he's managed to go from like the polar opposite of what they've had. But uh, I don't know. I, I've never really got a feel of what Sandy Alderson truly wants other than someone that's going to follow his directive, because to me, that's what Collins has pretty much done over the seven years, even when he, you know he has not been happy with some of the things he's had to do. So is this it for well, Collins in your opinion?
3: I think this is probably, I think, and, and I think it'll be mutual. I think he's tired. And he's not young and he does have a lot of energy, but at this point now with the, having to start over with a whole bunch of new players as he's going to have to do and younger players who, you know, might, he might not be able to reach as easily as he can with these, these older guys who he can just basically leave alone. Like I don't know if he wants to be parenting, if he wants to, you know what I mean? Like with Rosario and Smith and any other young players, they're going to have, they're going to come up. He's got to be also a kind of a disciplinarian and say, no, no, you don't do that. And with, you know, Syndergaard, it's, it's tiresome for an older manager to have to deal with that stuff. I just think that he's tired and the team is going to move on after this year. I don't see them making any kind of an extension, barring a miraculous World Series run, which he would probably retire anyway out on top. At
0: that point, you retire hard on top, for sure.
3: The way he's looking at it now, I think he wants to continue with the veterans because he wants to still see if they can somehow get into the playoffs and maybe get him that championship. And that's part of the reason why he doesn't want to just bag the season and bring up the kids and play the kids because he's not going to derive any benefit from it in the future anyway, other than say, well, Terry was there when they first came up. and. I don't think they want to go through the fire in carry count. I think it'll be a a mutual retirement. They'll offer him a spot in the organization and he can do what Jimmy Leland does and just rove around and help out here and there and just be the sort of like this this grandfatherly face
0: who and got back into a World and
3: Series and oversaw the rebuild and left baseball, left managing with a reputation that he did not have when he got axed in Anaheim, and when he got axed in uh, Houston. and As a replacement, they mentioned, the Mets don't generally hire people from outside. They hire Mets people. And, look, if the Yankees do something stupid, I want Girardi, I want him now, and that's it. If they don't hire Joe Girardi, then that is one situation where I'm going to get very, very angry if he's available.
0: I can't see Girardi with the way this season's going, being available. I just can't see it.
3: I don't think they're going to – I don't think the Yankees would let him go knowing that he might end up with the Mets because they don't need to deal with that either. And how many times have you said, well, maybe this is it for Girardi. They're going to move on, and they ended up re-signing him. One name – I'm not interested in Bob Guerin. They mentioned Chip Hale. Now, Hale got a bad deal in Arizona. It was a bad situation. But if you look at the way he handled the bullpen and his enthusiasm and how he can like communicate with the young players, he's a young guy. I could live with Chip Hale if they're not going after a a big fish like Girardi. Uh, Dick Scott, you know. Oh, come on. (laughs) I mean, that would be a typical Met I think that –
0: no, that's a disaster waiting to happen. No, I don't think that could – Unless Sandy really wants to, I mean, basically that's Sandy's guy. I mean, he, every coaching staff has a, a a guy from the front office there, and that's who it is. I mean, that. that well, that's I here. mean, if they want
3: to do something outside the box, I mean, that like Gardo Alfonso's in managing in the minors, you know, he'd automatically be respected when he walked into the clubhouse. Sure. I mean, I myself just sure. speculated about David Wright, but is David Wright going to really want to be dealing with that at, at this point? At this point, I mean, after that's he's retired tough, for a few years, profession. maybe.
0: Yeah. I don't know I don't I mean I can't, you know, it doesn't seem like David's ready to hang it up Hey so Paul what do you got going on at fanragsports.com what do you got going on in general uh, let the listeners know about it obviously they could follow you on Twitter at Prince underscore of underscore NY what do you got going on out there I'm
3: covering MLB I wrote about Addison Reed today uh, we got a post coming up about uh, why the Mets should not trade DeGrom well it's discussing the idea of trading DeGrom that'll be up on Wednesday and uh, it's just there's going to be stuff to cover about the Mets for the next couple of weeks, and then I've been doing all the stuff about uh, MLB in general, so let's keep an eye on it.
0: Well, we had some fun in spring training. Let's do this again before the year is out. appreciate a few minutes of your time, and uh, you be well, my friend, Already. All right, you too. All right, Paul Loewitz, fanragsports.com. appreciate him coming on. A lot of interesting things to say. Um, you know, I mean... Pretty much agree with a lot of what he said, and it goes back to even what I said when it comes to the, the big thing about trading Degrom. Uh, certainly, you listen, and I said that in the open. You listen. Uh, it's like what I said when the Knicks were looking to potentially trade Kristaps Porzingis. I know that that's a little bit of a different situation. Why not? Who knows what someone's going to offer? But to to be hard and steadfast like some of the fans about rebuilding, uh, it's really listen. The Mets got really lucky, really lucky. The first time around, with how things turned out, with Syndergaard, the Dickey trade, and Beltron, and how he could have been basically worthless if he had fallen apart. How the Grom developed, the development of Harvey—I mean, a lot of things went right for them. It doesn't always happen that way. It doesn't always happen that way. Let's take a quick break. When we return, final thoughts, and we'll wrap up
2: right after this. Hey, Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Right now, that's Mets M E R I Z E D online.com and get Metsmerized today.
0: Final segment here. Talking Mets with Mike Silva, and uh, I thought I'd do a couple of minutes here. I don't know if you guys saw the 30 for 30 with Mike and the Mad Dog, and if you've followed me on Twitter, you know I've been pretty critical of Francesca pretty much since you know I got into this whole medium, because I think things really changed a lot in 2007, 2008, especially after they broke up, and the desire, and, and like anybody else, I think that Mike and Chris just made a lot of money, got tired, and almost became characters of themselves at some point. But if you watch that 30 for 30, and if you're not old enough to realize it, or if you listen to the town hall on Sirius, you guys have no idea how radio, how uh, transcendent radio was in the early 90s, especially when it came to the Mets on that station. Uh, Mets were basically the big dogs in town when that station came into play. And they really went after Davey Johnson. I mean, that, that that goes from Davey being able to manage all these newspaper writers in his office to now he's got to go on after the game or before the game with Howie Rose, who was totally different. Howie Rose was a complete against Davey when WFAN came out. Those were some classic Mets extras where Howie would question Davey's moves. And then the Mets go into this tailspin with Buddy Harrelson first, who couldn't handle the media. And then Jeff Torborg comes in. And... If, I, I think it was in the 30 for 30 they mentioned it, but Mike certainly talked about it numerous times. And I remember these segments. Torberg was on every day at like 3.05 before a game. Every day during a 90 loss season with a team that was was totally out of control. Um, a guy that was in a smaller market in Chicago with a young team who was able to basically have the media eat out of his hand. So these guys beating the you know what every day doing Gary Cohen immediately after the game. After the game, he would go on with Gary Cohen after another disappointing loss, and you could tell. I mean, this is the equivalent. There was no cool down. Gary would go, you know, game over, right to Torborg. There was no sterile environment where you had an SNY, Steve Gelb, Kevin Burkhart type to handle the questions and direct the traffic. It was one-on-one. And Gary Cohen on the radio, he, didn't, he went after him too. You know, asking them some really tough questions. There was no softball. WFAM was the Mets affiliate, but they weren't SNY owned by owned by the Mets. And I think it was the media was a little bit different. You know, now there's been more controls in place and whatnot, but really brought up a lot of memories for me about how the media used to be. Maybe that's why I get somewhat critical about the local beat right now, because it's nowhere near it used to be. I mean, other than the Clappishes, the Kernans, the Caro, you know, these other guys, I mean, you know, there's some good, you know, Sherman, there's not a lot out there, you know, and I love the beat guys. I mean, Matt E. Holt comes on, all, you know, Matt E. Holt comes on all the time, you know, you know, good guy, but I mean, I'm, I'm remembering the days where it really was, you know, seemed like there was a media that was out there to hold the manager accountable and uh, you saw maybe a little bit of that today with this old Rosario story where the clappage came out with And It seems like, to their credit, the beat went into the locker room. And and it's, it's obviously a story that's developing, and it'll probably develop past the expiration point of this podcast, where they went to the player and said, hey, what's going on here? And that's what I guess I thought about. Like, hey, and maybe in a season that's spiraling a little bit, where the trade deadline's not quite here and there's – Not a lot to talk about with the Mets here, other than this faint hope or or belief that they're somehow in a race. So they wind up uh, getting this Rosario Cabrera story. And Cabrera's name, as far as being an issue in that clubhouse, has has been coming up for quite a bit. And I guess it just brought a little bit of those memories back, watching the 30 for 30, uh, thinking back to those Torborg segments, which I wish we could get some old copy of that to play i mean it was classic i mean some of them were like aggravatingly annoying when he would say that you know they scuffled like he was talking like this was a college softball team and i've had the privilege i went to met's fantasy camp about 10 years ago and i had spoken to eric hillman who was actually the coach of my team and i had some interesting stories some most of which i can't repeat on the air of uh of the the antics of that team and you could see they just they just did not respect the manager from top to bottom. So anyway, some interesting stuff. I thought I'd wrap up with some quick thoughts on that. Hey, I um, want to thank everybody for joining me uh, again today. I want to thank Paul Lebowitz. Check him out at fanragsports.com, at prince underscore of underscore NY on Twitter. Of course, you can check out the show all the time on com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. I'll see you next week.